Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Let's Talk Tri-Delta. I'm Karen White, Tri-Delta CEO. Thanks for joining us today. We are back featuring profiles of our collegiate alumni sisters that are making big impacts in their careers in the world. We have quite a woman with us today, alumna Melanie Hicks. Melanie hails from our Beta Lambda chapter at Central Florida. She is a PhD, an entrepreneur, an author, a fundraiser, a consultant, a speaker, and a workforce and nonprofit expert. That's just to name a few things. I am so excited to chat with her about women in the workforce and to gain and share her insights and expertise with all of you. Welcome to the Let's Talk Tri-Delta podcast, Melanie. Oh, thank you for having me. This is so fun and exciting. Well, your background in CV speaks for itself. I mean, you are truly a Wonder Woman. I don't know how you have done it all and do it all. <laughs> oh, you're very kind. You're very kind. <laughs> well, with, with all you've done in the nonprofit education and consulting sectors, you've actually recently opened your own publishing house. So where do you find your in- inspiration to, to create all these new career paths and these new professional endeavors? Sure. Uh, so... The truth is when I was fairly young in my early 20s, I had this kind of heartbreak moment, unrequited love, you know, and young 20s, you just think your life is going to be a certain way and it doesn't happen. And I decided that rather than say, oh, what was me? Like, this wasn't the way I thought my life was going to turn out. I said, you know what? Life is just one big adventure. And if you if you frame life as an adventure, you can't ever really be disappointed, right? Because everything that happens is one more chapter to add to your your toolkit, one more chapter to add to the book of adventures you've been on. And if you're open to seeing life in that way, it really kind of takes some of the fear and even the sting of disappointment out of it. And along the way, I just, that really became, I mean, it didn't start like a giant light bulb. It was like a very incremental thing, but I, I just started slowly reframing life that way. And so when I decide that, hey, that's really interesting, or I've been studying this as a hobby for five years, publishing, for example, I was studying and going to writers conferences and thinking about this. And I thought, I, I can do this. I, I don't see the niche that I'm supposed to be in out there in the world. So I'm going to create it. And, and I think that's, I, you know, when you don't have the fear wrapped uh, around expectations and failure and that kind of things, it's it opens doors to be able to just try things. I love that so much. I mean, it, I mean, it really is. It exemplifies Tridelta's brave and bold, mm-hmm. you know, characteristics in so many ways. Now, part of your goal of becoming a publisher is to tell 10,000 stories by 2025, right? So <laughs> why are you compelled to help people tell their stories? Yeah. Ambitious goals, right? That's, uh, I <laughs> have to, have to set that. So I, I had the privilege, uh, over the last, you know, 15 or so years of really of traveling, doing a lot of travel around the world, around the country. And I, I did a lot of it alone by myself or with groups of strangers, kind of groups that be, strangers that became friends. And as part of that, I had this great opportunity to be in places where people were telling stories, whether that was kind of newly created friends on an adventure or just being somewhere by myself where the bartender struck up or the museum curator struck up a conversation. And, and these stories, uh, so many interesting stories. And I, I really got to think I would, I would fly home and be sitting on an airplane thinking, gosh, I, that person should have their story, their story told. And I didn't have a mechanism to do that. And I wasn't recording and I didn't walk around with a notebook even. But in the back of my mind, I never stopped thinking about all of these stories that I was privileged to have heard and been shared with me. And how could I help people amplify and tell their stories? How can I encourage people to tell their stories? And Inked Elephant, as it as as I was developing the business model for it, I 
was drawing on both my my love of service and giving back. And so we, you know, we try to tell a pro bono story for every paid story that that comes through. But also just my love of storytelling and encouraging others to meet them where they are. If they're scared to write their story, let me help you do the confidence building. If you're if you're a writer, but you just need help organizing your thoughts, we can do that. It's just where you are, meet people where they are and help them get those stories out into the world. I love it. Well, and you have a particular passion for women and women in the workplace. Yes. And of course, you've got a consulting firm that you founded and you did a lot of work with organizations and structure. And so, you know, thinking about where we are right now in the world, right? There's been such a shift in the workforce and the workplace, right? Over the past few years, what are you seeing in regard to particularly what women are experiencing today? The result of the pandemic has left some kind of overly disheartening statistics out there, right? We, in the traditional societal way, we were the bulk of responsibilities for loved ones, for children, for schooling was certainly put onto women and it, and it had impacts on the career, on our careers. There are a million fewer women in the workforce in 2022 than there were in 2020, which is unfathomable number, right? And, you know, I, some of those numbers, I, I I try to dig really deeply into stats. Being a PhD, I, I don't want to take statistics on face value. And some of those, I found little silver linings around, which is women found their bravery a little bit out of necessity, right? Yeah, to yeah. start that business or to turn that hobby into a business and started actually making money at it and decided not to go back into the workplace in a traditional way. And those num- women are being counted, right? They're not being counted into these, these statistical numbers we're seeing, but there are still a lot of women who just struggled. They kind of lost their way in their career can't haven't been able to regain the right kind of job or or their position itself wasn't there and so there's there's some real long-term effects uh we are you know we we know all about the the pay differential and then the wealth differential over yeah. time with women i know that you had sally krachek on and yeah. she talked a lot about about those things that she has such deep expertise in with elvest but you know the thing that i have tried to look for always look for the silver lining the one thing i've seen with women in the workplace is that they're changing jobs at a more rapid rate. There's a recent McKinsey study that came out and talked about some of the reasons they did some polling on some of the reasons for changing jobs. And I was happily, (laughs) it's weird. The toxicity and microaggressions and things that were happening are sad, but the bravery that women have built and have and are starting to stand on their own feet and say, I won't take this. I will keep searching for that job that is with an organization that values diversity and equity and inclusion and belonging and values flexibility so that I can, you know, raise my children or do my volunteer work and really and, and really cares about employee well-being and what does that look like? And and so while the shift seems a little scary to watch women move around in the workplace, if what they're doing is building that bravery and stepping away from those things that Maybe they were just putting up with for a while. And any of us, me included, who've been through a toxic workplace, sometimes we need something to nudge us, nudge us off the ledge to go do the thing that we know we need to do already. And, and so I see the pandemic and it's and its aftermath as giving a lot of women bravery to do that. And intention, right? right. Um, yeah. The importance of boundaries, right? So you wrote your PhD dissertation mm-hmm. on psychological contract of generations of women in the workplace, right? So tell us more about that. I love this question because I have never, um, I've had my PhD for some time, but I have never seen a time 
in since I wrote it, that it is more relevant to the workplace today. And so I'm so excited to kind of let that reemerge and talk about it. So psychological contract at its most simplest um, non-academic speak is really the expectations that we bring into the workplace. And those can be when we first start a job or when, when our job changes in some way, the organization has rapid growth or has a reorg or we get a promotion or we change departments, whatever that looks like. And it's and those expectations are often unspoken and they're built around things like what do we know about the company, especially as a new employee? Like, what have we just seen on the news? What do we expect the company to be like? How was our interview? Did we feel warm and fuzzy in the interview? These kind of things. And then we get into our actual job. If what's happening on the ground in your actual work does not match the perceptions of what you thought it was. If the grass is truly not greener or not, you know, if the grass is blue and you were told it was green, we start to have different reactions. And the newest term, quiet quitting, is exactly what we called employee disengagement in my dissertation research, right? The, it's the precise thing. It is sitting and not being brave enough yet to change jobs or to decide that it's not quote unquote bad enough to change, to make a change yet, but really sort of starting to disengage from, from the energy, from the excitement, from the productivity that your most highly effective self would be in that position in that workplace. And so psychological contract is this idea of what are we bringing in and how does it match up? And that's just a concept, but what it means as, you know, as women leaders and managers, what we can do to help mitigate that kind of quiet quitting and that disengagement is to really try your best to figure out ways to articulate what your employees really do expect. And you can't necessarily give employees every single thing that they their wish list at an organization. There are boundaries, there are constrictions, you know, budgetary or or what it is that they, you know, their skill set brings or what the job parameters are. But if you at least know, if you take the time to kind of humanize your relationship with your subordinates and those, and even your mentees, right? People that may not report to you directly, but just people that you interact with and really get to know what is it that they're hoping to achieve? What is it that they're really under, you know, subconsciously wishing and, and, and expecting in the workplace? Just the act of talking about it has statistically significant results of saying it mitigates people from doing those negative consequences like quiet quitting, like disengagement, like even leaving an organization, right? Or, and worst case scenario, sabotage, right? That's right. the that's the far end of like, which, right. which by the way, sabotage is not just the organization, but, but women's own career or, or a person's own career. It's not restrictive yeah, to women. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So well, really fascinating concept and really something I, I'm excited to continue to, to or I should say re-engage in studying yeah. in the workplace. I'm working on a book right now about um, early, early stages, but about that concept and how it relates to the intrinsic value of work, the non-paid right. version and, and a value system around work. So when we think about it, we spend so much of our lives right at work with the people we work with. So, you know, humanizing those relationships, right. And, and finding ways to bring your best human self to your professional work. I mean, mm -hmm. it seems so basic, but how often we miss it, right. Yeah. Um, playing the roles we play in our professional lives. And I feel so fortunate. I work with people I love, right. Respect, admire, and, and there's high trust. And as a result, decision-making is easy conflict, you know, conflict's always hard. We get through it, right? Yeah. And we come out at the other side sort of better frequently with, you know, a brand new idea that emerged from a conflict, right? So love constructive conflict and I love the messy middle, right? That's right. You can't you can't experience some of that if you if you are not sort of intentional around, right? That that way that you approach the people, the humans, right? right. Around you. 
And we can all make missteps. Um, I'll sure. tell you that most recently I stepped into a situation where I felt like a, a bull in a, a flower field just, and I, it was not, I, I was brought in to lead a group of people and it was two layers of people, but I wanted to get to know all of them in the early stages. And then I wasn't going to be a micromanager on that kind of um, entry level employees. They have their boss, but I really wanted to get to know them. And so my intention was, I, I just, I want to know who you are outside of work. Right. I want to know like how you feel about your role and whatever. And it, it kind of set a, a ripple of fear. Like, why would she want it? I'm, I'm too, two rungs below her. Why would she yeah. want to talk to me? And it was so unintentional on my part because I really had the best of intentions right. of just wanting to humanize that relationship early yeah. on because we're not that, that large of an organization. There would be right. lots of overlap. And so sometimes we can make missteps. But to your point, I think the most important word of what you just said was trust. Yeah. And once you do the work to build trust between people, you can have missteps. You can have a courageous conversation to fix it. And then you can move on. And it, and it's not irreparably damaged, right? right? It is you you have built that trust. You can say, hey, that was not my intention, but I see now how that might have come across. So, so, you know, I, I will remember that and take it and, and do better next time. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, Melly, um, older than you, but, but like me, right. You've, I've had a lot of chapters in my um, personal and professional life. You have two. I hope we both have more exciting chapters to come. Right. But why is it okay for us to have chapters? And then why is it sometimes hard to turn the pages? Yeah. So I think that I've, I've done a lot of thinking around whether or not this is a woman phenomenon, a societal phenomenon, or a social media phenomenon, and maybe some combination of all of it. Yeah, all the three, but yeah. we, we end up putting ourselves into these boxes. And particularly, I think the more, and I say extroverted, and I mean that both from either a social media or um, potentially just in your own community, right? Just an, an extroverted way. The more you have like identified yourself as X, I am a marketing manager. I am a volunteer. I am a mother. I am a executive. You know, when we put ourselves in these boxes and then we want to change gears at some point or something in the back of our mind is like, you know what, this, this coat feels like it doesn't fit me anymore, but I've told everyone, this is who I am. This is the hats that I wear. This is the the boundaries, the, the archetype of who I've created. We just, we have a hard time letting go. And back to my kind of original thing, I truly believe life is supposed to have chapters. And if you see life as an adventure, then you know, it's going to have chapters because adventures don't last forever, right? They change and move and shift. And, and I think that's good for us. And I think it's good to acknowledge that we don't have to carry around the same archetype. And that archetype, it doesn't, I mean, we say that a lot. We see that kind of languaging around things that are bad when we're trying to release, you know, maybe shame or fear, or we made a bad decision, or we want to make a shift in something in a positive way. And that's great, but it's also okay to go and say, I had this great chapter, a professional chapter, but I got really interested in this. So I had a great professional chapter as a trainer and I still do some trainings, but now I kind of, I try to only do it about a training every quarter because I'm closing that chapter because I'm a writer and I'm moving more into that chapter of myself, of, of being an author and a speaker. And so it's okay to have these and to gracefully say, that was a wonderful chapter of my life, but I'm allowed to redefine who I am. And, and I think more women should feel brave to do that. And it's, it can be really hard, especially as mentioned, like in the most, for those who are the most extroverted about really building their personal brand around a particular archetype. Well, and so then, then, you know, as you're 
as you're moving, right? And shifting, evolving, mm-hmm. you're changing, right? And and there's some change, there, right? You've got to sort of move that and you've created sort of this method of change. And, you know, you are a true tri-delta that it's got three <laughs> steps and it's Every called, time. called the 3E method. So tell us more about your 3E method of change. Sure. And before I do that, a little fun fact. I was born on March 3rd. So I was literally born to be a tribalta. Yes, you were. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So threes have been in my in in my life my whole time. But so yeah, the three method is really it's a it's um a really applicable to both personal development and organizational development. I've used it in strategic planning with organizations and I've used it with sort of personal mentoring with with individuals. And the first one is called Excavate Your Attic. And what this really means is we all carry around a lot of things in our mental, spiritual, and, and kind of heart-centered attics, right? And some of those are traumas that we don't want to relive. Some of those are joys that we've just said it was a time and place. We've boxed it up and, and you know, it might make us happy to open that box back up. But either way, we're carrying around a lot of things. And all of those things add to our perspective of how we live our life. They're either heavy and they're weighing us down or they're happy and we, but we have put them in a box and forgotten about them and forgotten that, about that joy. And so I really believe that the first step in any sort of change is to be really honest and really self-aware about what is it you're carrying around. Open the boxes, blow off the dust, really sit with what is driving some of the decisions or and the, or the, at least the instant kind of gut reactions that we have to the way we interact with the world, right? Because understanding that it, we're able to sort of make the space to make changes. But until we really understand what's what's sitting in our attic, kind of either, you know, weighing us down or that we've totally forgotten about all those wonderful ways that we have joy or that we've found joy in the past and we're not doing those things anymore, we can't make changes, right? The second is eliminating your obligations. And I say this one is bigger for women than, than probably anything else. We have a hard time saying no. Yes. We have a hard time saying no even when our plates are full, we have a hard time saying no, even when it doesn't feel like quite the quite right for whatever reason, but we're just like, oh, someone expects that of me. And so I, I should probably just say yes and do this instead of really drawing solid boundaries and understanding that that we are empowered and we empower others by those boundaries, by making boundaries around ourselves. And our weakness to do that hurts not just ourselves, but others as well. So if you if you sit on a volunteer board and you really don't have the time for it, you're not giving your best self to that organization, right? If you come home exhausted, you're not giving yourself to your loved ones at home, right? If you if you're overcommitted all the time. And so eliminating your obligations, I I actually just did a training yesterday with a group of employees and I had them list out every, I give them a minute and I had them list out every obligation they could think of. And then we just and I said, okay, now I want you to rate them. One, I love this. I want to keep doing it forever. Five, it's feeling a little lukewarm at this point or 10. I, I could get rid of this at any point if I could. If I could find a way to get this off my plate, I would. And so that's the exercise I challenge people to do is to really just sit down and say, where are those places? Where are those tens? And some of them you may, you know, you may have a really challenging, you know, interpersonal relationship. Uh, maybe you're taking care of an aging parent or something. And yes, it's a burden and you would you would wish to not have that burden on you, but you're also not going to abandon your family. But there are others where you're just like, oh, there's this board that I go to every Tuesday and I don't want to be doing it anymore. And find ways to gracefully step down, find ways to say, hey, this has been wonderful, but I'm not no longer giving my full self. So help, let me help you find another person to do this with more energy and more excitement, a fresh set of eyes, right? And it's okay to do that. And I think more women need to hear it's okay to say no. It's okay to gracefully step back. It's okay to to empty your plate. When I moved from Tampa to Colorado, I 
didn't even realize how burdened I was by volunteering. I had, I had this great love for so many organizations. And over time I had racked up eight boards I was sitting on. So, and I was teaching two classes and working a full-time job. And I just thought we moved across country. And I, so I concluded the classes and I stepped off those boards and I thought, I feel free. Like I, I literally feel free for the first time in probably five years. And it didn't all come at once. It just one after another, after another. And it took moving across the country for me to realize that some of those were no longer really serving me. Right. right. And then the very last one is emboldening your resolve. And this is, this is making your own yellow brick road, right? They're making your own path. So once you've made the space, once you figure out places where you can add additional, made the space by going through kind of old boxes, right? Made more space by stepping out and getting, you know, releasing some of these obligations that, that don't serve you and and then make the path and stay on it and let that path be the judge. If, if you start to have something come on your plate, does it get me farther down this yellow brick road or does it take me down a side into, into the cornfield? And if you, if it, if this, if you say side into the cornfield, just say no, time to say no. Like I, I can't do that right now. I have a path. I have a journey. I'm emboldening my resolve to stay on it and achieve my, achieve my dream. Well, and sort of in that, I love, I love such, such great advice, right? And, and, and a method, right? So it's a, I mean, you're really, you're really inviting us to sort of engage in this, not just telling us what to do, right? Because right, obviously right. the work is ours to do, right? Your shadow um, work to do. Yeah. Well, and, but you've got a favorite phrase sort of around all of this, right? That women, I love this. Women hold the keys to the cages we build for ourselves, <laughs> right? So tell us why you think it's important we realize that and honestly acknowledge it to ourselves, right? I, th- I think sometimes we're scared and it's easier to blame others or to feel, to allow ourselves to sit in the cage and say, well, I, you know, I have to, I have to work at this job because of this, or my boss is making me miserable or my, you know, my spouse is making me miserable or that, you know, that organization is, is mean to me or, and we just, we don't always fully embrace our own power to make change. And sometimes we get locked in these cages. We've, we've built, you know, I worked for a, a, a not a great organization at some time in my, in my career path. And every day I would go to work and it'd be so miserable and it would, it was compounding and it was toxicity and it was microaggressions. And it was all these things. And one day I, I will say, he didn't say this phrase, but my husband is the one who kind of pushed me to even do the shadow work of my own to figure this out. He's like, you're employable go find something else. Right. You know, like, like, I think he said the word unlock yourself, like unlock yourself. You're employable. Yeah. If, if it's not the perfect next job, who cares? Find something, we'll pay bills. Then you'll find the perfect next job. Like there is always a solution. There's always a path. And we do own that. We have a way to own it. And the keys are right there in our hands. We just have to be brave enough to look down and say, it could be a little scary for a while. There's a really great song called Daydream. And I, I don't remember the artist's name, but she's relatively new. She was discovered on America's Got Talent. And one of the lines in her song was, you have to fall before you fly. And I love that because it feels like it. if you unlock this cage, yeah. like a bird cage, you might fall a little bit, but if you're brave, you will eventually fly, right? So just let a little free fall happen and then and then take off. God, love it. I love, and it's a great visual too, right? So on top of uh, just all of your accomplishments as a writer and a ghostwriter, you've got a book coming out this spring. Thank so you. tell us what your book is about. So it's called Incongruent Travel, Trauma, and Transformation. And it's really a uh, culmination of life stories. I've traveled to about 40 countries and the book doesn't go through all of them by any means, but it's sort of lessons that I've learned through healing from life trauma, figuring out 
you know, what life is supposed to look like when it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. When I was a, a bright young Tri-Delta in college, right? I had different ideas about what my life story would end up being and learning to love it anyway and to really appreciate and love the life that we're given. And through that, it's lessons that I learned through a lot of travel. But the backbone of it is a um, a trek to Everest Base Camp in Nepal. And so it's it's grounded in this idea of each stop along the way because it's an eight-day trek up and a six day trek down. And so, um, plus there's a a stopover in Dubai on the way there. So a little bit of like coming along with me on that journey and what that actual journey was like that actual trek, because it's something that, um, not a lot of people go and and do that mountainous trek, but also kind of what are, what memories did certain places evoke? What lessons did they evoke? And so I go through topics of, you know, father-daughter relationships, societal expectations, money, women's relationship to money, women's relationship to sex, all of these different topics, uh, religion and spirituality, uh, being a childless woman is is a big part of it. And so all of those kind of intertwining things about the human experience. Oh my gosh. Tell me that, uh, once again, the name of this book and when it's, it's coming called, out, where we yeah, can get it's called it. Incongruent Travel Trauma Transformation. And it comes out March 1st. It'll be on Amazon and other plate Barnes and Noble and wherever books are sold. <laughs> I love that. Will you come back and talk with us about the book? Absolutely. I would love to do that. Love to do we that. We would love to hear that actually. Yes. And so let's talk more because I think um, it would be an amazing visit with you to really talk about the, the book and, and the experiences and the stories, right? That you're telling through this piece. So I can't wait to get it. I'm so excited. And I could talk with you all day. There's Yay. so much you and I could like unpack here, right? I do also know that you're passionate about teaching women about investing and investing early. So we want to maybe talk about that on another topic. Yes, yes. Your messages today are are going to be so relevant to so many of our listeners, right? And I have loved talking with you. Everyone, I want you to look out for great things from Melanie Hicks. Tell (laughs) us where we, our listeners, can find and follow you online. Sure. So the best places are either LinkedIn or Instagram. So LinkedIn, it's Melanie Hicks PhD. And Instagram, my personal one is In Pursuit Mel Sue. And then if you're interested in the publishing house and any of the work that we're doing, it's it's inked underscore elephant underscore publishing. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much, Mel. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Yes, thank you. Special thanks to Melanie Hicks for being with us today. I cannot wait to see what is next for this woman. Um, Listeners, stay tuned for new programs and new episodes that will keep coming your way as we get into 2023. We cannot wait to kick things off. As always, do not forget to send us any podcast ideas that you'd like to hear. Email us at podcast at trideltaeo.org. Please like, subscribe, and rate our podcast. We like five-star ratings. Let's talk. Tri-Delta. And, you know, most of all, thank you. Thank you for talking Tri-Delta with us today. Join us next time. Stay safe and bring you 